welcome to another episode of 353rd. This is episode number 80. I am one of your hosts, Scott Barstow. I'm the other, Anders Brown, with 80, 80 episodes. We're getting some, we're getting somewhere. You know? That's right. We're finally making progress. Finally making a difference. And uh, we're back to doing somewhat regular shows. That's right. Which is which a good is, thing. Feels it good. It is a good thing. Yeah. So, happy uh, New Year. We're, you know? Happy New Year to you yeah. as well. 2015, I think it's going to be a big, big year. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So while we were away, there, was a, there were a number of interesting things that happened, uh, but probably... The most interesting is what went down with the movie, The Interview. Yeah, the most bizarre, you know? It's just crazy town yeah. stuff happening. Uh, yeah. So we have this – the movie is obviously about, uh, about the, you know, the, the country of North Korea and just the insanity that goes on over there. And so a cyber war is waged against Sony, and they hack Sony. I was just – I forget what the name of the group that took credit, but they uh, this group hacks into Sony and steals all sorts of documents and publishes them online. And then, so you think, oh, that's kind of, that's interesting. It's a new way to sort of wage war. And then, still more interesting, they start to threaten physical violence uh, for people who show up to the movie. Yeah. And so Sony says, okay, we're not going to release the movie and and kowtows to the uh, to the terrorist threat. Or right, because that's how it's that's how it's painted in the in the media is that right, they but, well so so it, it, I think it started as the theaters closing out the theaters saying we want a way out of our little that's contract right. here. That's right. And then Sony finally saying, well, I guess to be clear, Sony and the theaters and and whatever else these are companies. These are not. Nation states or, or, or that's right. governments, these are not political. They, they're making a financial decision, as they always do. That's so, right. Yeah. So keep that's going. That's right. And I, so I thought it was interesting. So you have all these companies that say, okay, well, we're not obviously not willing to put you know people's lives on the line to show a movie, which I felt was a fairly rational response. Yeah. And, uh, and then what I thought was just bizarre is that you have – the president of the United States uh, starts to browbeat Sony for caving on not releasing the movie. Yeah. And, and then it kicks off this chain of events where Sony eventually ends up releasing the movie, both to video on demand as the primary outlet. And then some small theaters, I think uh, ended up taking the release of it, Yeah, but they don't do like a major theater release of the whole thing. Um, and it's actually available on iTunes and you can go watch it today if you want to. But I just thought it was this really bizarre incident. I, I can't remember anything in the recent past or in the past at all where you've had this combination of a private company basically being extorted and then governments starting to weigh in and take action based on the threats to a private company. It was very bizarre. Yeah, well, so so continuing, so of course, you know, Sony eventually did uh, authorize some uh, channels online, and they had a in the first well, three days of of release, they took in, they announced fifteen million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, which is the biggest online movie release, but in terms of theater tickles, ticket sales, still a disappointment because the movie cost about if forty million dollars to make. 
So the question is, you know, is this a good or a bad thing, you know, business-wise? We'll get to the the more interesting topic that you just brought up, but business-wise, I don't. This is just further confirmation that you know what the world isn't ready to go to the you know an online distribution model or a you know same you know at home and at theaters in the same time or whatever kind of you know hybrid they want. I think to talk that's about. right. I think that's a really good point. It yeah, this would have been this probably is the largest uh, kind of direct to consumer release of a you know certainly a major cinema film. Yeah, and. And it really just didn't do all that well, even with all of the hype and the fact that you could watch it in your house and well, the it, comfort in. It didn't do all that well, in, you know, versus what the ticket sales would have been. Yes, in a they're theater. also not splitting those profits, right? Yeah, the the split is different. That's, That's true. That's right. But but um, you know, you're looking at uh, so so it's it's not an apples to apples. I think what would need to happen here is the movie needed to cost one or $2 million to make and have a 15 million opening weekend, you know, in air quotes, uh, over the, over the net. And then you would have a financial runaway success. That's right. So it's just not viewed as a success because it was never intended to do this through production. So they didn't think, Oh, well, online distribution, you know, we're never going to net $15 million. So let's only spend two or five or something. They didn't make that decision up front. So it's hard, you know, it's sort of unfortunate because you're sitting here looking at this like, Hey, well, wouldn't it be great if, uh, this heralded a brand new way to to do you know to release movies. In any case, it didn't happen. It's sort of sort of a bummer. I was hoping that it would, uh, but but uh, numbers don't work out at all. Anyway, so let's yeah, talk so about it, the. That's a good point though, because if they if they had suspected anything like this during the idea phase or anything like that, they yeah. could have potentially cut the budget of the film and said. You know, we're going to make this a direct to consumer release and let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, major, major studios, Sony pictures. Right. You know, and thinking about it that way. So we still haven't had that moment yet where somebody, you know, you've got a bunch of independent films and you've got Netflix spending real money on on content for House of Cards and things like that. But as far as I know, this had it been thought about that way, this would have been a really cool sort of test project. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're still waiting for a big studio with a name brand star to still make that, make that jump. Yeah. I I think it's going to happen. I I think we'll probably see it more from the likes of a Netflix or Amazon, you know, movie kind of Mm -hmm. funded project because the way that they fund movies is so, and and the fact that the movie theaters are so tightly ingrained in, in uh, Hollywood I don't really look to the disruption coming from Hollywood. I really like I'm looking at this as as all the vindication some companies need not to go really try this. I think we'll see this in an independent channel first. I think you're probably right. And I think it also opens up the door for, you know, Spike Lee's done a crowdfunded movie. And this is a topic we want to cover in a in a future show. But I think the idea of. Uh, crowdfunding a major release is also something we're going to see in the next in the next one to two years. I, I maybe a studio combines this idea of we're going to let you prepay for the movie, yeah, uh, and we're only going to release it on you know Amazon Prime and Netflix or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, interesting to much like uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Donald Miller 
made a movie. Uh, uh, he's Donald Miller's an author, but he made a movie out of one of his books, and he essentially had his readers fund the movie, and they got you know they got tickets to the premiere and all this sort of stuff, mm. depending on how much money they gave. So yeah. I feel like that day's you know that was a very small budget film, but I feel like those we're going to see this stuff start to happen. And uh, but yeah, let's move on to the larger kind of geopolitical implications of this, and the I think the implications for the internet itself, because there was suspected reaction, you know, by the U.S. government of taking action directly against North Korea and turning off internet access and things like that. Yeah, so see, what, I don't know what how do you that, make about what do you make of all that? Well, first of all, I don't know how that I don't know how that works. Uh, so you shut down North Korea's internet. And, well, first of all, the Internet probably only really exists in Pyongyang. And uh, so you're going to shut it down for there. And your your little hacking group just, you know, <laughs> hops on a flight and goes anywhere else in the world and right. uh, continues work. It's not like, I mean, you can't, it, it sort of seems to me a nation state response to a uh, a new world. It, it's like using the, the Cold War sort of. Uh, uh, you know, tool chest to fight the terrorist. Uh, That's right. You know, it's like putting tanks on the threat. border or something like right. that. It, it, it's, uh, it, it makes no sense. It's almost laughable. I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it's almost laughable to me. So, well, and it's not like you're hurting the population of North Korea. They have no access anyway. It's yeah, not like it's not like you went and turned off, and now all of a sudden. Uh, you're hurting, you know, the people of North Korea. They've got no access anyway. Yeah, it's really. I'm sure it's very limited uh, yeah, access it, and all of that sort of thing. But it yields like so. You, so I think what you're getting at is like, well, so here's a nation state shutting down. You know, let's say enacting sanctions, like an immediate type of sanction against a country for a, a supposedly a country's cyber, you know, war unit taking aim at a company in another right. country. That's right. So, and it isn't even a U.S. company. Yeah. Sony's a, a, is a Japanese company. Well, I don't know what that means. I mean, the question is who, like, who owns, who controls it, or who owns it? Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess my point is Sony is not predominantly a U.S. firm. So if it's a Japanese firm. Okay. So, but, <clears throat> so why, if any, you would think if any nation state were going to take you know, what about Japan? What about Japan? I know Sony Pictures is probably a U.S. company, but yeah. still, the Sony Group, as a general, you know, as a holding company, as a Japanese company, so why why would the U.S. step in? It just felt ve- like a very strange well, reaction to me. Okay, but but like compare and contrast. I think it's going to sound bizarre, but compare and contrast the U.S. space program and the Russian space program back in the day. Both had some unwieldy number of people. I think the U S had 300,000 people and, and Russia had 500,000 people working on the space program in Russia. It was all state run everything, every bit of it in the United States. It was a conglomeration of companies. So it's very arguable to say that the success or failure of the U S space program was very much on the back of private companies. Or, sure. or public companies, but companies, not, I mean, they're clearly funded by the government, but the work is done by companies sure. rather than directly controlled by, by uh, a government. So in the United States, I think, you know, that mentality still exists. The government 
I mean, the United States government cannot put a man in space right now. Uh, hopefully that'll change pretty soon, or even uh, anything in space, uh, whereas private, a private company can put uh, you know, items in space, and uh, soon, hopefully, hopefully uh, people. So uh, if you look at a company in that way, like as a strategic importance, then yeah. So maybe it comes from that mentality. That's just a guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's and. The question would be, in my mind, my response to that would be, is a cinema company or a movie company yeah, who of strategic importance? Like, they come and go all the right. time. Right. And so, so that's the, yeah, what that's statement the are you trying to make? It's almost like, uh, like, it's the equivalent of the response almost to what the U.S. has decided to do with Russia and the whole economic and food sanctions and all this other stuff that's going on there. It's mm-hmm. almost that kind of response, but just in a different theater um, and the difference, obviously, being that you know Russia, you know, put people and military equipment in the Ukraine, and yep. you know, threatens a sovereign nation that's a U.S. ally and all of that sort of thing. And here you had almost none of those characteristics, and yet the and yet the government steps in anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was bizarre that we that the government would even be involved in any way yeah. in the whole incident. And I think it's. The, the bigger picture in my mind, or the bigger question I should say, is what does that mean for the future of these kinds of incidents where the U.S. government starts to take action and starts to shut down connectivity based on what's ha- what they believe to be right and wrong? I felt like that was a very, uh, I guess, dangerous precedent well, the government is always going to take action against what they think is right and wrong. The question it, is, do, why is an attack on a movie studio a wrong, right? Yep. So I don't know. I, I think, yeah, if you look at the, the, the two, you have a fuzzy connection there. Is, is this actually wrong, a, a wrong to the, the, the nation? Uh, and you also have, well... Uh, here's a proportional response. Let's shut down, uh, internet in an area, which, you know, oh my word, you know, the internet is controlled by, uh, by a, a government. Well, yeah, of course. And the internet is controlled by the government. Everybody thinks the, the network is, is free and, and, you know, it's sort of a basic human right and everybody should be able to connect to it. And, uh, suddenly we're surprised when some kind of an action like this is you know, like the United States cuts off North Korea, for example, or, right. or any other country, uh, you know, like, uh, like uh, Syria or any country in conflict, uh, you know, Egypt tries to shut down internet access, you know, f- inside the country just to, con- to contain things or something like that. Um, you know, I, I, I think what we're, looking at is this catalyst for other technologies. Like we've talked about Gotenna before, and there's, there are some other Wi-Fi related companies uh, that, that build swarming networks that kind of leapfrog this problem. And and they're, they're huge problems. I have to say, you know, straight up, you can't just snap your fingers and have multiple cities connected to each other via wire wireless links that are not, controlled by countries or companies or something like that. It's, it's not, I mean, it's a very difficult problem, uh, especially with technologies like, uh, like Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. I think the, 
The thing for me in the U.S. response, let's so we don't nobody. I don't think it was ever established that the U.S. government was actually involved. Okay, and, yeah, that's fair. And so let's just let's let's just make the assumption that they weren't. But I think the your point is a good one, and that is that there the most people believe that the internet is sort of this ethereal, mystical thing that nobody really controls. And the reality is that that the U.S. government, in particular, has a chokehold on the internet, and, yeah. and this is this has come up. Uh, you know, last year the UN was trying to sort of wrest control of the internet from the U.S. and uh, and I think the I think the measure was voted down or something like that. I can't remember the the what actually happened with that, but the you can, you start to get a sense with incidents like this that if you're not a U.S. ally or if you're just um, in any other part of the world, and you start to see the power, let's you know, okay, well, Germany does something to the U.S., and the U.S. takes a draconian response of shutting down Internet, you know, to and from Germany or something like that. It's, you start to get a sense that the, that the, power, the power structure is wrong, and I think that's the, that's the interesting part in all of this is out of any of these kinds of incidents comes – you know, ingenuity and innovation around uh, resting con- or you know, pulling, push, uh, grabbing yeah. control back. Ch- yeah, changing who has the switch. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so I think there's there's a couple of interesting things happening on this front. And we, you know, you mentioned Gotenna, and uh, we've got the the Servo project, which is this mesh network uh, that that you and I looked at, you know, a year a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the and we've talked about mesh networks on the show before, but I think there's you're starting to see uh, projects in other parts of the world start to sort of make all of this stuff happen. And one of the more interesting things came out of Portugal, a company called Venium. They've actually relocated to the U.S. now, but the the spelling we'll put the the link in the show notes. But spelling of the company is V E N I A M, and they've actually built what is considered to be kind of the first production grade citywide mesh network and there and it's actually a mobile mesh network so they've got the the city buses are enabled the taxi cabs and all these other things and uh, it's really kind of it's being looked at as one of the first projects that a city can implement and provide connectivity to its citizens and kind of bypass their their big push is bypassing the mobile network and getting traffic, you know, traffic offload. But I think the bigger picture is more mesh or point-to-point communication between citizens that doesn't necessarily involve the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is compelling. The question is, uh, how do you make the technology work in, uh, you know, for example, using in, in your case? So, so you have a city, you have a bunch of buses and taxi cabs driving around. They're, they all have Wi-Fi devices in them. How far are you going to get reliable service with Wi-Fi? It's it's a little short, just a hair short to uh, to blanket a city uh, uh, outside of just the roads. So when you're talking about just outside and and whatever, I, I think that's probably doable. It seems to call for a slightly higher power radio uh, technology to right. kind of really blanket every bit of a city. Uh, so I think that's sort of a, um, you know, 
little stumbling block for the moment. I don't think that lasts very long because I think other uh, unlicensed frequency will eventually be freed up and used, specifically television uh, uh, white space. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's what, what's compelling about this is, is here you have a, an industrial grade network that can self-organize. That's, that's huge. That's new. Yeah. And if you, and we'll post some, some links to articles that have been written about this, this city in Portugal, uh, in the show notes as well. But I think what's interesting is that they've actually done, it's little things like, uh, when a bus hits a pothole, the bus has sensors on it, and it's registered where they hit the pothole. And you know the city uh, maintenance crew can go out and fix that pothole. It's it's all those little things that the Internet of Things is supposed to promise, and that we've been promised about what will happen. Then we're actually starting to see them at a very small scale uh, in mm -hmm. this network. And uh, the other thing that I think could be interesting in all of this is uh, what's the new are there new protocols that come about? You know, the internet runs on TCP/IP, mm -hmm. and uh, so are we starting to see? I wonder if we'll start to see a very different set of protocols that enable, you know, a, uh, this different kind of communication. If we're not sort of going hub and spoke, which is what TCP/IP does more or less. I mean, you still have to go somewhere and get an IP address, and there's all these things that have to happen. And that fundamentally puts control with someone at the center of the network. Well, and I wonder if I wonder if those things start to change as well. I mean, I, I know it's it's decentralized to a point, but at some point you still have. We're still. We're, yeah. I think the North Korea thing sort of showed to me that there's still too much control at the center. Well, so so first of all, North Korea. I mean, you're talking about. Uh, you know, connecting cities and obviously countries, very big distances. These mesh projects are not really focused on on spanning those kinds of distances. So you, they're still, I mean, we're talking about the very tip of the iceberg, just fixing uh, local connectivity. There, there are huge problems, myriad problems doing the doing the long distance hop. So, right. so but that's a good me, point. Let me go back to the choice of a protocol. So. I think that's a very good uh, that's a very good insight there. But I would say that my my guess there is that the radio network will be truly peer to peer, and then there will be a virtual, effectively virtual TCP on top of that. That it, that doesn't need to be centralized either. I mean, you can have the gateway move just as you have everything else move. Sure. Um, but it would be implemented in a virtual way on top. And I'm thinking very specifically of IPv6 being mm -hmm. used on the bottom. And then, you know, maybe a, a four in six tunnel, IPv4 in IPv6 tunnel over the top to actually supply the service because you need to talk to the outside world and the outside world is overwhelmingly predominantly tcp right it's the only thing really yes so so in order to talk to that you're going to want it so i think i think you're going to have it extended through uh a a mesh decentralized network by overlaying it as a virtual network over this network there's i mean this seems a clear easy answer uh, maybe i'm wrong but that that seems to me an easy way to get this done yeah i think you have a combination of the more does more traffic start to flow peer to peer for lack of a better word so if you and mm -hmm. i are riding around uh the city in portugal 
and I think right. it's Port- Porto. You know, you and I are in separate cabs, or you're on one bus and I'm on another bus, and we want to talk to each other. We don't need to go off we of that network. Out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So there's, yeah. I, and the question in my mind becomes: as more and more is connected that way, then. Uh, then what naturally starts to happen is that you need less and less connectivity to the outside. You really need to get to the outside to, you know, <clears throat> for just as a simple example, get on Facebook or, yeah. you know, or get maps or, you know, whatever, whatever it is well, that you're trying to do. But I think the, maybe the amount of traffic that goes off the network and by off the network, I mean, um, outside of the domain of, kind of point-to-point connectivity or peer-to-peer connectivity, most of what you do every day, if you think about what you do every day, you send an email to somebody, you, you know, you get on the phone and talk to them, you send a text, you, uh, maybe you send them a Facebook message or whatever. I think most of the things we do are still one human to another. Yeah. And so uh, I think it feels like as the problem starts to get solved, at a bigger scale then the need to get off of kind of that peer to peer environment those things start to get less and less potentially true but the question i always have with that is well this has been a need for for as long as people have been been building websites on the internet and probably longer so how come we haven't really seen it well we have in a couple of areas uh burgeoning uh, peer systems Bitcoin would be a good example, yep. is uh, one way to look at that. So you, you so you don't have to go to a center, but it still does have somewhat of a centralized problem in that, well, for example, we talk about Bitcoin, the DNS seeds. You have to go to a DNS seed and get an answer, and you get a reply of a bunch of random peers that you can connect to. So you do yeah. need uh, some of the centralized thing right there in the beginning. It's not that yeah. that's and absolutely... And BitTorrent, BitTorrent would be another one of those right. where it's not that you need somebody to tell you where to go get it, and then you can go get it from a peer. Right, but that's it's not that that's absolutely necessary. There are ways to, you know, essentially broadcast and, and query and find out uh, from a bunch of other sources, anybody who wants to reply. But then, of course, the problem comes, well, then I'm just going to reply with bad answers and connect you to my fake right. network, etc. Right. So if you've already had some connection to the real network and you can check on fingerprints or something like that, you can greatly lessen, but it's a very difficult problem to get rid of that last centralized piece. I think there are definitely ways to do it. I think it will happen. But uh, there's so much inertia with as, you know, even a slightly centralized uh, solution that we haven't seen. And, you know, I don't think suddenly snapping your fingers and having uh, a whole, whole bunch of mobile mesh networks in existence is going to be enough to push the needle to change that because it's so easy for one guy to have a real connection to the internet, to just ask the, the centralized question and supply an answer. And then your whole entire mesh network is satisfied. That's right. So yeah, the question is, do you go to the center for everything or do you just get the initial query from there? And then you look for local caches for everything else. I feel like that's probably the, the, you know, least, worrisome or the the easiest to implement uh, solution for a, for a problem like this. Yeah, I think that's right. And you also have, uh, I think what probably starts to push it the other way is that we're all carrying devices that are as powerful as, you know, a, a high end PC was uh, 
five, seven years ago, we're carrying that device in our pocket now. Sure. Yeah. And so I can do a lot more computing locally. So if you think about every the the aggregate compute power of everybody riding on a bus in Porto, Portugal, yeah, um, is probably yeah, that's a massive amount of compute power just sitting right, right but, there on that bus. But right? you do, what you really need is storage, and 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 storage has followed the same trajectory. Uh, so you know, right now, incidentally, you can get a 512 gigabyte SD card on Amazon. It's amazing. Uh, so that's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. So you have these uh, uh, devices that all have storage capability. If you could just, you know, if I had my phone, I could say, "Hey, look, you know." 10 gigs the network can use and that, you know, by my supplying that to the network, the network will now give me, you know, let's say five gigs of, of, you know, distributed storage. That's kind of always available. Well, I'd yes. take that. I'd do that hands down anytime. Absolutely. You just wall off, partition that, sure. that 10 gigs off on your, on your device. Yeah, and, and now I have five gigs of network, you know, network attached storage that, that if my, if I lose my device, there's a, another copy of my data elsewhere. I, I'd do that. If, if I had a 64 gig uh, phone, I would do that with 50 gigs of it. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and yeah, have 25 absolutely. distributed. Done. <laughs> I'd yeah. do that. Any- and I wonder if, if we – it'll be curious for me to see – that's a great point. It would be interesting to see what happens with storage space because what's the, what's the biggest storage space on the latest iPhone? I can't remember. It's, uh, is it's it, 128. 128. So I, it seems to me that we'll probably in the next year we'll see that at least double, mm-hmm. right? And so now you start to get into these. I mean, yeah. my the drive on my on my current MacBook Pro is a like a three or four hundred gig drive. So all of a sudden, I'm going to be carrying that much capacity in my pocket. Yeah, which is just. I mean, I never. I'll never use all of that space on my on my machine here locally. And so just think about the ability to sell that to the network as you were talking about. And now I've got. Uh, now again, going back to us all riding on this bus in Portugal, I've got plenty of compute power. I've got, uh, so I can do things like, you know, I can uh, route traffic to other people sitting on the bus if I've got connectivity and they don't. Like, there's all sorts of things you start to be able to do. I can't wait to ride this bus. It sounds great. <laughs> that's right. It's going to be like the, uh, it's gonna the, be... the bus on Harry Potter. That's right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's just, yeah, looking but forward it, to it. But you, uh, but, and then I'm able to, you know, store, I download a, a movie or I take a picture or whatever. And now I'm able to store that picture across, you know, five of the devices on that bus or something like that. Or, or yeah, or yeah, right, and or even other buses, obviously. So you uh, don't of have course, to. yeah, yeah, and then um, yeah. So then uh, you you hop off of that bus and you walk into another bus, and now the bits you are carrying for that other bus are now you know in some other disconnected area and can be locally copied a lot more cheaply. Uh, so that, that's another thing that you kind of, is sort of a hidden benefit of this mobile mesh idea is that as, uh, nodes go from one place to another, you know, your, your, your 50 gigs are going to be driven to the other side of the town and back. Obviously if it's a taxi kind of all the time, sort of randomly. So you don't have to distribute the data immediately. You can just let the wheels sort of sneaker net the data to the other side of the city and then just copy locally to some peers over there. And now you have this distributed data set without having pushed, you know, 50 gigs over the air, you know, node to node to node to node across the network. So there are really interesting efficiency things that show up. If you say, look, when I first create, make the bits available, don't, they don't need to 
you know, span the city immediately. Just, you know, have that happen sort of within the next 12 hours or something like that. You know, I'll take a, I'll take a risk on that. I'll take a risk on not losing my phone for the next 12 hours. And then, you know, so I think there's some really interesting efficiency things that have yet to uh, show up because we don't have a network that, you know, sort of as a sneaker net as part of it. Yeah. And, you know, here's something interesting. You think about a service like Netflix, right? So right now, that's a heavily centralized service where you've got to go to them to get the content and da 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 da. Yeah, sure, right. Well, imagine in this yeah. scenario, mm-hmm. I'm I'm carrying around you know fifty or a hundred of the top right of the I'm, top I've, videos. I've got half of the the interview. Uh, That's right, and, you, you know, and I've got the other yeah, half, and right. somebody wants to watch it. Well, all yeah. of a sudden, you know, Netflix can push that content. To, yeah, well, Netflix to just pe- says, yeah, it's it's uh, block ID, you know, two three That's five right. seven. Who has that? And it turns out, you know, well, I've got that. I'm sitting yeah, on the bus I'm, right and next I'm to you. Yeah, I'm sitting right next to you, right. so I start streaming it from there. Yeah, and, far more. You know, Netflix, far. You you start to get Netflix with uh, a service like Netflix with the ability to push content out. Uh, yeah. So they know that the demand for you know the next house of cards it's is going to be happen. massive. So yeah. they just start pushing that out. Yeah, they start to pushing people bits who and have pieces. capacity yeah. and. Now they're no longer managing the streaming of that content. Well, it's happening no much closer to home. For it. Yeah, they're That's sending right. one copy out, and then everybody is just kind of sharing those copies amongst each other. And you can keep it encrypted, and you can keep it, you know, the oh, keys absolutely. on it. It's, Protect DRM all and all of that stuff. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. it's just become suddenly now. Look at what <laughs> cool thing that happens there. Of course, is well, what's what's Netflix business model? Well, you know, number one line item bandwidth. That's right. right. <laughs> what what does it become in that scenario? Well, it becomes, well, we're just running this very light bandwidth sort of pointer service that just says, okay, if you want to see the interview, it's block ID 567 and, you know, go ask for it. Go ask your neighbor for it. And yep. last resort, if nobody has it, then you can get it from us. So That's right. So if you've got some bill, obscure film, you want to watch right. some obscure French film that nobody's ever watched before. Right. Then it, co- then it goes then to it comes to you streaming. Yeah. And then so now Netflix you know, is paying 1% of their, uh, their biggest uh, line item, their biggest cost center. And, or, you know, well, I don't know about that. Maybe their cost, the biggest cost center are content creation, but you get the idea. In the distribution game, it's, it's, it's the bandwidth. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be disruptive, I would think. Yeah, so I think the it's exciting to see this stuff. We'll put some put some show links from this, or put some links in the in the show notes from this this city in Portugal, and uh, and also uh, yeah, everything else that we've talked about here today. Anything else before we close out? No, let's move to Portugal. Yeah, let's go to Porto and uh, and ride around on, <laughs> sounds, you know, on the magic great. bus on the Love night it. bus. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on three fifty third. Till then.